You're listening to the Oz TV podcast, only on the Oz Network. It is the Oz Network coming to you once again for another very special episode. I know you are going to get excited for, love, be entertained, and everything else in between. Before we get into it, just a friendly reminder, of course, to give us a like on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, subscribe on all the relevant channels, and then that way you can stay up to date with all of these episodes, unless you already are, of course, and you're already up to date. But if you're not, it's the easiest way to make sure that everything we release out there, you're going to listen to it, and you're going to know when it's happening, and how you can get involved on the episodes where we do let you, the listener, get involved. So search for the Oz Network on all the social medias, all the platforms where you can download podcasts. It's that simple. But you're here today to listen to this very special episode, as I just said. We are having a chat with Mr. Bill Walsh, who, of course, played the esteemed Bill Walsh in Third Watch across six seasons. Technically, he didn't play Bill Walsh for all six seasons, only five seasons. The first season, we're going to find out exactly who he played. But a fascinating chat here, because, of course, we've wrapped up our Third Watch coverage. It's been done and dusted now for about a month or so. But we're still going to reach out and try and get some interviews along the way. There's definitely some cast members who we do want to hear from and hear about their time on the show. And Bill Walsh, of course, was a real-life FDMY firefighter, and he got put on the show, basically, because he was a real-life FDMI firefighter. And you're going to hear just how that happened, some experiences on the show, and just what it means for him moving forward as whether or not he's a firefighter or whether or not he's an actor. So we're going to find all of that out right now in our chat with Mr. Bill Walsh. We had our next guest on the program about three or four months ago as we celebrated 20 years of Third Watch with a massive Third Watch reunion special. Go and listen to it if you haven't already, but I'm very thrilled to welcome our next guest here in order to talk a little bit more about his time on Third Watch, his, his time outside of Third Watch and everything else in between. Please welcome back to the program, Mr. Bill Walsh. Bill, pleasure to have you back here on the Oz Network. Hey, Ben. Good to be back, my friend. Good to be back. It's it's so exciting. I say this every single time I have someone from Third Watch on the show that I, I, I'm fanboying because you guys, uh, you know, my entire childhood growing up watching Third Watch, I was obsessed, still am to this day. So uh, it's it's an honor. And it's exciting because I remember when um, we sort of found you, I think it kind of I think you might have commented on one of our posts we had put up about the 20th anniversary of Third Watch and kind of messaged you and you agreed to come on the show. And it was it was kind of funny because I think we'd looked for you in the past, but because kind of you were an actor, but also an active firefighter, it wasn't through the usual avenues we found. So it was just good old social media that ended up connecting us. <laughs> yes, yes. Which is, you know, that's the how it, it's fun to sort of work that way. But is it... Is it interesting to be able to to talk about Third Watch still after after all these years? Because I mean, it was obviously a bit of fun having a bunch of you come together last year to celebrate twenty years. But the fact that there's still people wanting to talk about this show. Well, I can't. One, I can't believe it's twenty years already. You know, or I can't believe that. And the crazy thing about it is that Third Watch was my first introduction to anything in the entertainment business. Besides, I mean, you know, I had I had done some things uh, prior to being a fireman. I was a roadie for uh, Stiff Records, which is a whole nother story. And uh, this was this all just happened by chance. And uh, it was a pretty good uh, a pretty good thing to step into. 
Uh, we're going to find out and refresh our listeners' memory about how that all came about shortly. But just in terms of your career as a firefighter, uh, how, how did you get into that? Was that something you'd always wanted to do as a kid? I mean, sort of t- tell us about how you got involved in, in that industry. Yeah. All right. I was, uh, I was, I was actually a longshoreman. For, uh, I worked for the International Longshoremen's Association and, uh, right out of high school. And uh, I had a couple of roommates. Uh, one just had gotten out of the Marines, and the other had just gotten out of the Navy. And they were taking all of the uh, civil service tests, the bus driver, police officer, um, transit authority. And they would come home with applications for me. And I was, you know, I was doing pretty good. I was in the union. I was making a good, good dollar for um, 18, 19 years old. And they just kept, you know, saying, hey, you want to do this? And I was like, no, you want to do this? No. And one day they came home with an application for firefighter. And they said, hey, you want to take this test? And I was like, yeah, sure. So I think it was like seven bucks or something like that. I I gave them the $7. They got a money order for me. I filled out the application. They mailed it in for me, which was, you know, because I had no interest in, you know, I, I didn't know about it. I had a job. I was doing okay. And I took the test and I got it. And both of those guys didn't. One became a bus driver. And the other one, uh, the, the kid from the Navy, he, he went down to Virginia to be a fireman because he had already, o- always wanted to be one. And I just took it on a whim. I said, you know, I, I'll take it. And I, and I ended up getting the job. Wow. And that's, I yeah. guess, if, if you want to be a firefighter anywhere in the world, you, you want to be part of the FDMY, right? That's like the, the granddaddy of them all. Once again, blind luck and divine intervention, mm. you know, uh, um, I just, I, I kind of fell into it and, um, I, I didn't have anyone in the family. I had nobody, I had, I didn't have anybody to reference, uh, being a New York city fireman. And I had no idea, but I knew I was looking at, uh, the key thing was as a longshoreman, I could retire at, I believe it was 66 and I was 18 at the time. And I, I heard that with the New York City Fire Department, you could retire in 20 years. And I did the math. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to re- – I can retire at, uh, you know, 41 as opposed to 66. I, I like that something just fell. Um, I like that story. Yeah. So uh, with that, yeah. It's, I mean, that's, that's the thing at the end of the day, like, okay, cool. You know, 20 less years of working. That sounds, you know, quite, yeah, yeah, <laughs> quite that, more that's, appealing. Right? Yeah, that's I'm in on that. And, and you stay, did you stay basically then to that age? Is that the age that you ended up retiring in the FDMY? No, I retired at, uh, I turned 50. I want, I ended up doing 28 years. I wanted to do 35. Um, because it's just, it's, it's, if you find something that you love, it's not a job, you know, and, and I never had a, I, I, I'm not going to say I never had a bad day as a New York City fireman, but I never woke up in the morning and said, you know, oh, geez, I got to go to work. Oh, that, you know, really, really stinks that I have to go to work. It, that never happened. And that's, uh, that's, that says something about the camaraderie and, and it's a noble profession. So, uh, and, it, and it's immediate gratification. Which, I mean, like as you were saying before, for something that kind of you didn't necessarily plan to get into, like your friend who, who sort of you mentioned always wanted to be one, kind of you know they obviously are going into that for many reasons. One of those probably in particular, but I can imagine for someone like yourself who kind of just falls into it, did you expect to ever come out of it feeling that camaraderie and that that sense of passion that you obviously held for the job? 
no, 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 no. It was just I, I was introduced to it, and and um, basically it's indoctrinated into you once you get into the academy. It's how much you know how much of a tradition this is, and you, you know um, how can I say it? Um, the tradition, the customs. And it's the best ride in Coney Island. The adrenaline rush is unbelievable. It's, uh, you know, and th to be a young man who, who you know, I like going fast. I like, you know, I like skiing, motorcycle riding, you name it. If it was, if there was some danger involved in it, I'd love to do it. And that was a great, uh, you know, a great adrenaline rush. And you're doing something good. It's a noble, like I said, it's a noble profession. And it's also one of those uh, professions that kind of, you know, the ladies like the firefighters, right? It kind of that that can't be an issue. <laughs> I never heard. You. I always here before I was a fireman. I I, I like I was working in I was working in Howland Hook Marine Terminal. It was a big uh, container terminal in Staten Island, and I'd go out for lunch, and I'd take my car and we go to the local deli or whatever and, and, and get something. And I'd see guys out there washing their car on like you know Tuesday afternoon, and I was like. What are those guys doing that they're off on Tuesday afternoon? And I'm going to say they were firemen. <laughs> so I remember that part, you know. And, and just that the revolving schedule is as a young man without any children, it's kind of like a really, really cool thing to do. Mm -hmm. You know, because my weekends might be Tuesday, Wednesday. You know, and, and if I want to go someplace on a Tuesday, Wednesday, it's usually packed on a weekend. I can go there. And, and it, it's, you know, usually pretty good. Everything just adds up. It all it works very well for you, and then and then eventually uh, it kind of leads to acting. Which is this something that happens often in New York? That there are uh, TV shows or movies kind of scouting firehouses for, for extras. I mean, how how does that work in New York City? I uh, it, it only happened to me once. Wow! Oh, that I know of. It only happened to me once. I never heard of it before. And I never heard of it after. Mm. So what happened? So how, how does that opportunity come knocking on, on your door? Okay, so I'm uh, at the time, I was a covering lieutenant, basically a covering lieutenant um, in Special Operations Command. So basically, uh, I didn't have a permanent assignment in the command, and I would work uh, vacations, medical leaves, and um, if somebody was like, one of my jobs was I took over for a guy that went was deployed. So he was deployed. So I took his lieutenant spot. So in doing that, I got to work in the five rescue companies, which is one heavy rescue in every borough. And then at the time, let me see, what is seven squads? Well, the squad companies, there were two at the time. And, and uh, marine companies on the, on the fire boats. And hazmat one. So I would rotate around there and fill in spots. And I was working one day in rescue one in Manhattan just for the day tour. I was paying back a tour. I owed a day tour. I took a day tour off and I had to pay one back. So they had the, the spot was open in rescue one. And I had worked there before. I knew all the guys, you know, I did that for almost uh, four years. So you get to know everybody in the command pretty well. And I was there, and we were having lunch, and one of the guys answered the phone. The phone rang in the, in, the, in the kitchen, and he said, 
hey, look, they're looking for a fireman. They're looking for a guy to play a fireman on a TV show. Is anybody interested? And nobody said anything. And he took down the information, hung up the phone. And then I think like five minutes later, we're still eating lunch. And we went out on a run. And we didn't get back until probably after six, after the tour was over. So it was a pretty busy afternoon. Um, I grabbed the guy that took the phone call and I asked him, I said, Hey, you know, what's, what's up with that thing about, you know, a guy, uh, looking for a guy to play a fireman because I I tried, like I said, I fell into the job. I'll try anything once, almost anything once I I do have parameters. Hmm. Um, and he said, yeah, they're, they're looking for a guy to play a fireman. And I said, could you give me the information? He gave me the information. I made the phone call. And they said, come in and come see us tomorrow. And that's how that, that happened. And the rest is history. Well, the rest is kind of, uh, I'll continue with the story. Um, so uh, the next day, I went into Manhattan. I went to 57th Street. I think it's the, I think it was the NBC building at the time. I'm not really sure. Uh, and I, No, actually, it was the, it, it's the ABC building on 57th and 9th. And I went in to see it, it turned out to be the vice president of something for Warner Brothers. Wow. And I went. In, yeah, I, I had no idea. Ben, I had no idea. <laughs> so I went to see this guy and his name was Jeff. Uh, I'm trying to think of his name. I can't remember it at the time. I sat down at the desk. He says, hey, look, here's here's the script. And he gave me a, a, a sheet and it said, uh Hey Jeff, who's missing Jimmy? And yeah, and I said yeah, and the new guy. Well, look out, Jimmy. I'm not even sure what I said. And he said, okay, great. What are you doing tomorrow? And I was actually I was working the next day. I was working in the firehouse, and but I knew I was working in Hazmat One. And the story gets better. Um, I said, well, what do you need me to do? He said, I need you to be on 10th Avenue and 15th Street at one o'clock in the afternoon. Okay. I said, okay, no problem. So I'm working at Hazmat One, and the thing about Hazmat One is they had, and I could get in trouble for this. I might. I, I hope the statute of limitations is over. But um, Hazmat One has jurisdiction over the entire city. So you you go anywhere in the city and still be in your response area. Like where, where the other companies, where the rescue companies, if you're a rescue company in Brooklyn, you really shouldn't be leaving Brooklyn to go to Manhattan. Right. But I knew that I was in Hazmat and Hazmat is not it's not particularly busy, but when they need you, they need you. So uh, I, I, I said to um, the chauffeur who I knew the, the, the chauffeur in Hazmat one the next day when I was working, I said, Dennis, I, I need a favor. He says, what do you need? Bill? I said, because like I said, I knew all these guys because I've been working there for four years and I'm a covering officer. So I'm the guy that just comes in to fill in spots. So I really don't have many responsibilities except get the company through the day. Put the rig back where, where you found it, all nice and shiny and new, and, you know, don't make any waves and everybody's happy. So I said, Dennis, I need to be over at uh, 10th Avenue and 15th Street at, at 1 o'clock. He said, well, what do you need to do? I said, I said, actually, I'm going for an addition. Do me a favor. Don't say anything. He said, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll, I'll get you over there, and uh, we'll take care of it. So sure enough, 1 o'clock in the afternoon, I'm at 10th Avenue. I get off the rig. Now, I, now I'm – in, I have my bunker gear on. I got my lieutenant shirt on. I got a radio on, across my chest. And 
I go upstairs for the uh, for the audition. Walk in the room. There's maybe 20 guys in there. They're all like 6'2", dark hair, muscle-bound, beautiful men, you know, bl- blue eyes, you know. And, and I'm like, oh, man, this is like, what What am I doing here? Right? So I walk, to, I walk up to the lady at the desk. I says, uh, listen, I, my name is Bill Walsh. I'm here for the, uh, for the audition. She goes, okay. I said, could you do me a favor? Like, I'm working, and I could, like, leave here at any second. Could you get me in, like, right away? She said, uh, sure. So sure enough, she, I get in. I walk in the, in, in the room. Now, this is another audition. There's, like, ten people at a table that's, like, the, the last supper table. You know, <laughs> I have no idea who these people are. But the guy from Warner Brothers is sitting at the table, my friend Jeff. I didn't even know who the VP of Warner Brothers. I had no idea. He gave me his card later that I found this out. All right. He's sitting there. It's, hey, Bill, how you doing? He hands me the sheet again. He says, we'll do the same thing we did yesterday. I'm okay. So I didn't know, but Chris Chulak, John Wells, Brooke Kennedy, uh, the VP of, of, of Warner Brothers. I don't know, eight, six or seven other people. I have no idea. All these big shots are there. And I'm walking in with my my fire gear on, <laughs> auditioning for a part as a fireman. And uh, we start running the lines. I totally blow the lines. I, t- I told like I'm, he's talking to me, and I'm like, and he's talking to me, and I'm still looking at the sheet. Like he's like, no, this is when you go, Bill. <laughs> oh, you go, Bill? No, no, this is when you talk. And I, I all right, look, look, look. I'm not really very good at this. Can we try it again? He says, yeah, 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 sure. Try it again. So we did it again. Hey, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I'll see you later. Walked out and got back on the rig and went back to work. And that was it. And then maybe maybe a week later, maybe 10 days, I get a phone call from, I think it was Jeff, from the uh, the VP at Warner Brothers. He calls me up. He says, hey, Billy, how you doing? I'm good, man. I'm, I was actually driving home from work. Uh, he says, uh, how you doing? I, I'm doing good. He says, uh, hey, we really like what we saw and, you know, all this kind of kind of stuff, this Hollywood lingo, you know, and I'm sitting there going, okay, yeah, all right, and, and, and he says, well, I just want you to know you got the job. I was like, okay, thanks. He said, uh, the second AD will be giving you a call. Okay, no problem. Hang up the phone. All right, so I got, uh, look, I got another job. This is another <laughs> job in my you know what I mean? Yeah. Because I've done it all. I've I've pretty much like tried everything at least once. And uh, I called my wife up. I said, "Hey, baby, you know I, I got the job." She said, "I knew you would." I said, "Okay." She said, uh, um, "Are you excited?" I was like, "Yeah, you know, it's it's on the WB, which is Channel Nine in in New York City." She goes, "No, it, it's on NBC. It's a it's a <laughs> it's a it's network a, show." So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like. All right. Yeah. Okay. No problem. So, so, um, the second AD calls me, maybe they're shooting now. They're they're shooting. I think they're up to episode six and the second AD calls me maybe, you know, three or four days later. And she said, Billy, this is how it's going to work. You know, I'll call you. I'll let you know when you should show up and where you should show up. And then we'll, we'll take it from there. I said, okay, fine. No problem. So now I'm working in, uh, squad 270 out in 
out in Queens, all the way out in the ass end of Queens. I'm out in 270. And I get a phone call. It's the beginning of the tour. I get a phone call. She says, uh, hi, this is uh, so-and-so, the second AD. Uh, we're going to need you in at 114th Street in Harlem tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. I'm like, there's a problem here. She, what, well, what's the problem? Um, well, you see, I'm working right now, and I get off at 9 o'clock. I get off at 9 a.m. She says, oh, that, that is a problem. I said, uh, you know, I can maybe make a phone call and try to get somebody to come in early for me, and I'll try to make it there as soon as I can. She said, okay, let me know what happens, and, and we'll work it out. So I call uh, the guy that's supposed to relieve me in the morning. The lieutenant is supposed to uh, be my relief. His name is Pete Martin, and uh, God rest his soul, he was killed in 9-11. Um, I call Pete up. Now, Pete lives all the way out in Riverhead. He's, he's out on the ass end of Long Island. So for him to get into to Queens where we're working, it's probably like an hour and a half drive. Wow. And for, for him to get to where we're working right now, for me to get there uh, to Harlem in time, I'd have to leave at like 6 a.m. So basically 5.30, 4.30, he's getting up at, you know, 3 o'clock in the morning to come in and relieve me. And I say, hey, Pete, I need a favor. And I would do the same for him. He knows it. Uh, but I said, Pete, I need a favor. I, I need you to relieve me early tomorrow. He goes, okay, no problem. What time do you need me to get you out of here? Because most of the time, early relief is like, hey, can you get here at 830? You know, can you get here at 8 o'clock? That's okay, but not can you get here at 6? Hmm. So I say, uh, 6? He says, uh, yeah, sure, no problem. I got you. So I call, I call the woman up, the second AD. I say, look, uh, you know, I'm going to be there. No problem. She said, okay, we'll see you in the morning. So I'm at the firehouse and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And I know we're having a pretty a busy night, but not too crazy. Like it slows down around midnight and things start getting quiet. I'm up, I'm up in the bunk room and I'm like, you know what's going to happen? You know it. 5.30, quarter to six, a box is going. This, we're going to get it. I'm, I'm going to go to work. And what am I going to do if I'm working? It's not like I can stop and make a phone call and say, hey, hey, hold on a second. Yeah. Uh, I'll be there in a little while. You know, it's not <laughs> happening. So sure enough, sure enough, you know, 5 a.m., ding, 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 ding. We go out. It's uh, we first due at a second alarm, maybe 10 blocks away. So that means that we're the first due engine company at this fire. So I'm not even thinking about, like, going to the other job. We, we get there. We end up uh, – putting the fire out and usually what happens in the New York city fire department is the first, the first engine company that goes in and does all the work, putting out the fire. Then they send another engine company in to relieve them. Okay. You, you did your job. Come in. The other guys will come in. They'll take it. They'll, you know, wash it down, uh, hit all the, the small pockets of fire. They'll take care of that. So sure enough, we, we, we knock the fire down. Great job. Everybody does a good job. Um, who comes walking in into the fire room, into the fire building? Pete Martin. Pete says, hey, Billy, I got you. Get out of here. My car's on the corner. <laughs> so I turn around. I, I hand him the radio and the flashlight. <laughs> I say, thanks, Pete. And I jump in his car and go back to the firehouse. Don't have time for a shower. Just kind of wash my face off, 
throw them. Now I'm a covering officer, so I take all my fire gear and I throw it in the trunk. Now it's wet, it's dirty, it still smells like uh, like the fire. And I go out to Harlem. So I get to the set. And my first answer, I don't know what's going on. I, I have no idea what's going on. I say, uh, all right, hey, I'm you know Bill Walsh. I'm here. Oh, you know, everybody on the radios, which took me a while to get used to because everybody talks on the radio and they walk by you. And as they walk by you, they're talking like, hey, I don't know. And I'm like, what? 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 You talking to me? You know. So it takes a while to get used to. It. I, I had no idea. Um, so uh, introduce me to hey, this is Bill. Introduce uh, to the director. I'm going to take you to wardrobe. Okay, fine. So I'm in civvies, but I still probably smell like smoke. And I go to wardrobe, and they are. I walk into wardrobe now. They bust out this bunker gear that they must have gotten from the uh, the supply store. It's all brand spanking new. The the stripes are like gorgeous. It's all like you have to break the stuff in. It's it's pretty pretty stiff. So they start handing me bunker gear, and I, I'm I'm putting this stuff on, and I'm like, uh, I don't know about this. I could do me a favor. I got some stuff in the car. Can I uh, can I go bring that in? And if that's good, I'll, I'll wear that. So I go out to my car and I bust out my gear that's – I've been working in this stuff for a couple of years. It's, it's pretty salty looking. The, the guys call it salty. It's pretty uh, worn. It's worn in and it looks pretty beat up. And I bust out my gear and I walk in with the, with the fire gear. Now the whole room smells like smoke. <laughs> and all the, all the people in the wardrobe are looking at the stuff going, that's what it's supposed to look like. I said, this? Yeah, can I wear this? And and so that's that's the wardrobe. So I end up wearing my own gear in wardrobe, and then uh, I was on. That was my first day on set. Wow, wow. Do what do they do then with all the other people that have got these brand new uniforms? And here you are with a warm one. Do they all of a sudden have to go get some dust and just basically make them dirty? As, as, yeah, as soon as as soon as they saw what I was wearing, they took everybody's stuff that was there. Well, they had. Um, the extras, the extras that were working in the firehouse, they had the same group of guys that worked as extras in the firehouse. Uh, and those were all New York city firemen. So they had gear that looked, looked okay. And the only person that didn't look really, uh, like, um, beat up or worn was Eddie Sebrian. So he immediately took his stuff and started throwing it on the cars as, you know, the cars <laughs> drove by and threw the stuff on the cars and stuff just to try to get it uh, looking a little bit more worn out. Which, I mean, I, I find it so crazy to think of that situation that here you are day one on set, you know, not knowing what to do. But I guess at the end of the day, you're surrounded by other firefighters who are, you know, playing extras and all this sort of stuff. And all of a sudden you've got Eddie Cibrian this, you know, attractive actor guy who, you know, here he is on this network TV show. It's all of a sudden actually finding himself in a weird position that he's just surrounded by firefighters and learning probably as much of of you guys as you are of him. Well, the the funny thing is, is that uh, my first scene was with Kim Raver and it's actually the opening scene on my, on my, uh, on my reel. And Kim, Kim's lying to me, uh, is who else is missing, Jeff? Jimmy? And my line to her is, and the new kid. So, I mean, they set up the my mark, and they, they set up the whole shot. And it's an exterior shot, and an ambulance pulls up, and all this kind of stuff. And um, 
they set up the whole shot and I'm just kind of trying to listen and figure out what I have to do. And, you know, makeup's coming over and fixing my hair and, you know, putting makeup on. And I'm just kind of, I, I have no idea what's going on. They which, wire me for sound. Which, um, which you initially, you were Jeff Firefight Jeff Wilson, weren't you? You didn't go by yeah. your actual name until what, season two, wasn't it? Season, I believe it was season two, yeah. Jeff Wilson. I was Jeff Wilson in uh, season one. Which, is that so, disappointing that you don't have a character? I mean, I guess it'd be kind of cool to be yourself moving forward, but uh, it's kind of a badge of honour to have a character name, wouldn't it? I, I, well, as long as the check cashes, I, you know, I don't care what you want to call me. What do you want to call me? The check cashes, no problem. You know? Doesn't matter. Uh, I, had, I had no ego. It's a, this was a. You want me to stand? Wait. You want me to stand here and say, uh, look concerned and say, look out, Jimmy, for how much? <laughs> yeah, that was my take on the whole thing. I, I had no artistic involvement in it. It was. I had. This was just something that I had just tried, and it was to me. It was a one shot deal. You know, to me, it was show up, do it, and then go home. Um, so, so I do the scene with with Kim Raver, and we do it like I don't know. Six or seven times, eight times. I don't know. Um, and they say, okay, you know, moving on, checking the gate, moving on, because it's still a shot on film, which I was, you know, fortunate to do, to work in that medium, uh, to work in 35 millimeter uh, on film. Everything's done on digital now. Um, and checking the gate, we're moving on. And Kim Ray was just, hey, that was really good. You know, uh, thanks. And, and the regular salutations that actors give each other, which I thought was really, really nice. And I said to her, I said, you know what, Kim, I, I got to tell you, um, I knew this guy Jimmy was missing, but who's this guy Jeff? I had no idea I was Jeff Wilson. <laughs> I, it, so throughout the whole scene, if you look at me, I'm like, I know Jimmy's missing, but this guy Jeff and the new kid. So there's three guys missing, and I was Jeff. Um, the story with the – with the change of character name was I had no no say in that. They basically did uh, what they did. Um, the producers of the show, they just changed my name to Billy Walsh because I, I think I did maybe maybe six, six episodes in season one. And I worked a, a bunch of times with Michael Beach, which is great. Mike's a great guy. And Michael Beach could never call me Jeff. He called me Billy on set all the time. <laughs> so it would have to cut it and say, Michael, it's Jeff. It's not because he called me Billy all the time. You know, whatever whatever it said in the script, he called me Billy. So I guess after a while, I just figured it was easier just to change it to Billy Walsh. It's, it's all Michael Beach's fault. <laughs> I'm going to call Michael Beach. And, and hey, look, you know what? That's not a bad way. Which it's not a bad thing to do. I'll blame Beach. Once you have that one episode and they, they, they call you back and like, hey, we want you more, and then obviously it becomes more and more regular. Does that make doesn't it... Work like, didn't work doesn't like work that? Like, how, didn't well, how work did it like, work? It worked like, okay, uh, this is Billy's last shot, and see you later. Wow. That was it. There was no... Was I ever... Because you have to realize that the, the show was... Uh, there was a lot of people on the show that needed, you know, a lot of uh, main characters on the show that needed to have time or space. 
And I never knew. Every time I walked off the set of Third Watch, I never knew if I was coming back again. That's crazy. So even the whole six seasons, you always that could have just been your last scene? The whole six seasons. Wow. Nobody's in the business of giving away money. That's I find that fascinating because I know um, throughout a lot of the series run, there were I, I think the show never knew if it was coming back for another season, usually every season. like There was always kind of that threat mm-hmm. that it wasn't coming back. But I, I find that very yeah. interesting to hear that from your perspective, like that side of thing with your character because... I mean, at the end of the day, your character became very integral to the show. You got your own little moment uh, alongside with DK in the the final sort of closing montage because that eventually how important your character became to the show. And I know that we talked a lot about in our recaps of how, particularly in season six, when Eddie Sibrian had left, the firefighters kind of became more of background characters, but you and DK really were just the main firefighters at that point. And I just find that fascinating that you potentially just every single time this is my last scene could be who knows every time like here's what happens if they if they say we're going to use you for 12 episodes or we're going to use you for six episodes i don't know how the business end of it works i'm not entirely sure but i think if they say they're going to use you for 12 episodes well then you have a bargaining chip on you know what your what your scale is going to be because basically uh I never got paid anything but 10% over scale. Wow. Oh, you know, I could pay just enough so I could pay my, my agent. So it wouldn't cost me to pay my agent. So what, at what but point was, do you need an agent then? Like after one episode, you're like, I'm an actor now. I need an agent. <laughs> no, no. What the hell do I know? What do I need? It? What? Why do I have to pay somebody, uh, you know, 20% or whatever it is? Uh, you know, I, I'm here. Here's another story. I was working and I think it was, I don't know. I'm going to say maybe, maybe the second season, maybe the second season. And I know there's a law in the screen actors guild that you can only work so many times without joining the union. Right. So I know people try to get into the screen actors guild their entire career. They want, they want to become part of the guild. I was looking at it like like this. It's probably I don't know how much it is now, but it's probably about fifteen hundred bucks when when I was uh, acting when I first started to get into the union. So you, first off, it's kind of weird because you have to you have to work in order to get into the union, but you can't work if you're not in the union. Right. So it's kind of catch twenty two. It's kind of weird, and but I was working. And I guess somebody from the union said to production, like, this is his 10th episode or something like that. Or is this 10th, 10th time that he's working as a principal actor on, on, a, on, a, um, on a TV show or a movie, whatever, but a TV show. He says he has to join the union. And they were asking me to join the union. And I kept telling them no. Because, you know, I, I worked a day or I worked two days. And I made I made a certain amount of money. Now I'm going to join the union, spend more money than I just made, potentially never to work again. Hmm. You know, because there's no guarantee that you're going to work. Yeah. So so I just didn't see the you know it just didn't make a lot of uh, monetary sense to me. And then one day they were like, okay, you have to join the union. I was like, well, I don't want to join the union. So you have to join the union or you can't work. We're driving you down to join the union. And that's, you know, that's where my name came up, Bill Walsh. 
because, you know, uh, uh, what's your name? William Walsh. No, oh, you can't use that. Uh, uh, what's your name? Uh, what else can I use? Billy Walsh. No, you can't use that either. Um, and I was able to use Bill Walsh. That wasn't being used at the time. Wow. But I could have made myself Tony Montana. <laughs> so it has to be a separate name, basically, that another actor doesn't have the same name. Is that? Right. Wow. Right. Okay. Right. You can't have the same name. So, you know, so. Can't it be was two like, Brad what, Pitts out there or two Leonardo DiCaprios or things like that. Right. right. <laughs> what do you mean I can't be William Walsh? I am William Walsh. No, you can't be him. Wow. I was like, have to pay you for you to tell me not to be William Walsh. So, like I said, potentially every every episode that I walked away from, and I never knew. One, we never knew if we're coming back the next season. Anyway, I wasn't on the inside. I didn't get any of the inside dope. And every time I left the show, that was it. You know, I, I, I may be back. I may not be back. If they told me I'd be back, then I had I had some leverage on. You know, asking them for more money, which they never gave. And did that then have to work? I mean, obviously, it still had to work with your day job as well. So does that make it, you you talk about one instance there where you kind of have to get a late cover to be on set, but was that a constant thing or were they able to accommodate a little bit more and more as you got more experience on the show? Uh, I would, the way I I found out that I was working, I'd get a FedEx script in, in, you know, a a script FedEx to me. Mm -hmm. That's the way I found out I was working. Wow. So if the FedEx truck pulled in front of the house, uh, I'd open it up and, you know, see what I had. I'd say, you know, a scene, two scenes, three scenes. And then um, then the AD would call me and let me know, like, are you? we got you for two or three days and this is what we're going to do. And this is what, you know, we're going to need you probably Wednesday, Thursday, Friday next week. And then I'd be able to uh, – uh, with the job now, the job I, the job didn't make any um, allowances for that either. So basically, I you know all the guys that I worked with, if you needed a tour off and you said Billy, I, I need you to work for me Tuesday, and I, if I didn't have anything going on Tuesday, or sometimes even if I did if I did have some have something going, and it wasn't that important, and you really needed the day, I'd do it. You know, so I, I'd, I'd switch the tour. So when I needed. Tuesday, you know, Thursday, Friday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I, I, hey, you know, I need Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I usually got the time off. Do but the problem is it hurt. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's just such a, a fascinating situation, I could imagine, because this is the thing that I, I think Third Watch did really, really well, is that it, it incorporated sort of members from the actual services that they were portraying to not only be on set and give, real-time advice and be advisors but actually incorporate you in the show and i think it took me a long time to actually realize that yourself and dk weren't actually actors you were genuine firefighters who became actors sort of on the show and because i think for the most part you can't tell joe lisi's a fire captain Mm, uh police of course yeah of course yeah and i guess you know it's like I said before, nobody's in the business of giving away money, and I'm not faulting anybody because you know it doesn't hurt to be uh, uh, um, um, thrifty. But if you can get if you can get somebody if you get somebody like me, right, where I could drive the fire truck, I can drive the the fire truck responsibly with like a camera crew strapped to the roof of it. Um. If I could 
once you get to the shot, like I've had a couple of situations where uh, working with Chris Chulak and we get to like uh, a car extrication where part of the scene was a car extrication. And Chris would ask me, he said, Billy, what, you know, they would basically set the scene up. I wouldn't be involved in the pre-production, but once we were on scene, he'd say, well, you know, how would this go? And I, I'd say, well, basically we'd do it this way and we'd probably, we'd probably uh, uh, take the, the patient out this way. And, and then while I was doing that, I, I know that we had a camera here and a camera there. I said, what we could do is like pop the roof off. You could take the shot with the overhead of us in there. And then Chris would look at the crew and, and say, okay, Bill's going to direct this scene right wow. here. Wow. Kidding. Kidding. But basically that happened quite a few times where, you know, because I had, I had knowledge of all the, the special equipment and uh, all of the uh, uh, procedures that would, would, would go along with doing this stuff. And then, you know, I had a little uh, common sense about like where the cameras were and, you know, you can get a good shot coming out this way or like that. So, so if it's going to save uh, production money, and you're going to get a, a, a lot more realism involved in it. And, you know, there is dr uh, dramatic license where you have to, you know, this would really never happen. But for the show, we can do it like that. Which You, you, know, have, you have to understand that. Yeah, I remember when we had Joe Lisi on the show, actually, that you bring him up. Um, we talked about that kind of, you know, how did he feel at certain instances when he might be in a scene and as somebody who's basically acting in a role that he has that as a real job – is it is it tricky or sometimes weird to kind of have to have that dramatic license to make it unrealistic? Because as a professional, I can imagine you watch TV shows and you go, well, it wouldn't happen like that. It wouldn't happen like that. It wouldn't happen like that. But now here you are on the set, probably thinking that, but now actually understanding why they can't show it happening like that because of that dramatic license. Yeah, you have to you have to kind of um, look as an actor. You're you're. It's your job. You're given basically um, a scene to do, and in that scene, there may be some, there may, there should be, or there may be some things in that scene where are totally not familiar to your person. I would never say that. I would never look that way. I would never act that way. I would never. Um, just I wouldn't I just don't do that. But as an actor, now you have to you have to accept the fact that now that line has to be yours. You have to make that where it's yours and you have to make that reaction where it's really yours. And you have to you have to do the scene as something that may never happen to you. So if you apply that to the job. You know, you understand there's certain things that look there. There were things that I, I would say to them, look, this would never happen like this. And they would actually say, OK, how would it happen? And I tell them how it would happen. And then lots of times we'd find a happy medium because Brian Dixon was the tech advisor. But Brian Dixon was a uh, um, he's a battalion chief and. Like a lot of stuff they were doing, especially when we became a squad and they were starting to use a lot of uh, special equipment, uh, stuff that regular firehouses don't carry. 
uh, he had no idea of what the capabilities or how, how to use this stuff anyway was. So I ended up doing a lot of the, like on set stuff where he would, would set it up in pre-production. But once we got on set, I'm sure they said more than a number of times, don't worry when we get there, Billy's working, he'll work, he'll walk us through it. You know, and I, that's, they never said it to me because then, you know, then it would cost them more money because a lot of times that somebody would say, okay, now you have to give me money for being a consultant. Now on, on, what is it on Wikipedia, I think, or on IMDb, it says I, I came on as a consultant on the show and I, I never came on as a consultant from day one. I was a principal actor. I only came on as an actor and then here first day. Eddie Sibri, our first scene together. We, we go into an apartment building, and he says, uh, uh, Jeff, you go that way, and I'll go this way. And he opens an apartment door. He's got to force open an apartment door. And we run through the scene one time. No cameras rolling. We're just blocking the scene. We run through the scene. He has uh, the fire tools. He's not a fireman. He doesn't know how to use them. He opens the door. I said, all right, hold on a second. Can I talk to Eddie for a second? And I take Eddie on the side. And I said, Eddie, listen, you're the main guy here, right? You're, you're the big dog. And it's Eddie Sibbert. He knows he's the big dog. You know, he's, he knows he's the big dog on set, right? I said, you're the big dog on set. He said, now you're the big fireman on set. This is how you have to do it. You got to kick the door open, man. You got to bust the door open like, like old cowboy style, you know what I mean? You got to walk in there like, you know, uh, Errol Flynn. <laughs> and that was, and I showed him how to use the tool. And, you know, you, you bust the lock and kick the door open. And that was, that was the beginning of my relationship on Third Watch. How um, I kind of tried to, when I was on set, try to keep it as much towards, you know, as you can, as much towards, uh, 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 reality or truth as you can. How was that relationship with, with Eddie? I could imagine from that moment, did he constantly come to you for advice for, for scenes? He constantly came to me for gloves. <laughs> because <laughs> every time, like, they, they give you these big, fat, you know, fireman gloves. Everything he got was from the, from the store, from the, uh, uh, from, uh, uh, the quartermaster. Yeah. So he get these thick fireman gloves and I know I'm not going into a fire, so I just grab a pair of work gloves from, you know, under my seat in the car, and they're all just beat up work gloves. And he's like, uh, where'd you get them gloves from? I was like, uh, under the seat of my car. He says, uh, you got any more? I was like, yeah, here, you know. So, yeah, it was it was kind of like that. Wow, wow. Did he did he end up taking a bunch of them home? Like, is he just, does Eddie Sibrian have just a bunch of gloves that he and Leanne Rhymes just must, I don't know, use? I don't know, man. Maybe. Maybe he's got a secret, you know, he's got them in, in a metal box in his closet. He busts them out <laughs> once in a while and smells them. I don't know. Come on. Come she, on. She, she wants him to role play as a firefighter still. So, hey, you've got those gloves still, right? <laughs> <laughs> actual gloves. Actual, actual gloves. Now, Eddie, Eddie's like, Eddie was kind of like, you know, it, you have to realize that there's there's one thing with third watches. They really never the EMS side of it and the police department side of it was uh, more often 
delved into because just of the uh, expense of doing the fire stuff. I think the fire stuff was a lot more expensive. So, you know, they did a lot more EMS and, and PD stuff. Which that's definitely one thing when we were doing the recaps, we would sort of note that particularly in, I guess, the first probably three seasons, there was always that one kind of event fire episode where you had the big fire, you know, and that sort of was the episode. And one thing that I would love to know is that given that you're shooting in New York, you're not filming in LA on a soundstage, was it just a case of they had to find an abandoned building that they could set fire to once a season to have one of those episodes? A lot of times the building, those guys that did, here's, here's another thing. The guys that did the fire um, effects on third watch uh, from the first day of, of like the first time I was ever on set till the, the last day that we did a fire scene was they, they, they did it so well. They they were really good. They did um, the places that we used were not necessarily abandoned. Wow, a lot more were uh, habited, and I think they did in one of because the, they did fire shows. They did like fire episodes that I wasn't even on. Mm-hmm. You know, they did a couple of roof rope rescues and stuff like that. That uh, you know, they did things that I wasn't on because it's you just didn't name it. Um, and I think one of them, they had, uh, um, they had an actual fire in the building that they started a fire in the building and they always had a, a real fire company standing by in case anything went on when they did all the fire effects. So the real fire company that was standing by actually had to go to work and put the fire out. Wow. Jeez. But they get, they got really good at it. That's crazy. It's, it really is, um, interesting. I think with the, how the firefighters were definitely portrayed on third watch because sort of. The, the later it went on, it, mainly, I guess, after Eddie left sort of in season five that, you know, it really kind of was put a little bit to the back burner. But, I mean, the more and more you're getting these episodes continuing on throughout the show, but outside of that, watching it, is it is it frustrating to see that the firefighters were kind of taking a bit of a backseat to the, to the cops later on in, in Third Watch? Um, well, you have to realise that Eddie was probably... And, and this is only, I don't know, I don't know, but Eddie was probably getting paid for 26, whether he worked or not. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so I, I don't think it really mattered to Ed. Um, I mean, he's one of the stars of the show. He, you know, you got to look at him. He's, he's, you know, a demigod. But uh, um, I think that it was always frustrating because there was so much more that could have been done. It was frustrating to see how kind of like the firemen were always handcuffed where you couldn't get, like you could have done so much with, um, I think the beginning of season two, I think it was called, this episode is with um, Charlie Hayde from... Hill Street Blues, he directed it, and uh, Victor Coluccio was on it, uh, myself, Eddie. Um, there were a couple of other guys, and I, I thought that they were really going to delve in. It was Young Men in Fire. I think, yeah, Young Men in Fire. And I mm-hmm. thought yeah. it was the beginning of where the show was going to actually have a, a, a real good look at 
the firehouse or the fire, you know, the fire part of it. And I mean, it, I, I thought it was a really good episode. And then it just went away. Because that was one where, like, where uh, Jimmy gets shot, isn't it? And then you had that sort of crazy guy who was pretending to be a firefighter. And then, because that was, yeah, that was the finale of season one, I think. Yes, it was. was. that Young Man of Fire? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was season one finale. Well, I, mean, so, I had yeah. the episode. Yeah. But it's, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting because there would be these episodes. And this is one thing that when we're sitting down and talking about an episode for an hour and, you know, you're analyzing it differently, like... I, I find I found it very fascinating in the last rewatch just how much more I enjoyed the firefighter storylines. I think as a kid, you know, I was probably a little bit more into into the police side of things. I like the paramedics and kind of the firefighters were kind of there. But one thing that we discovered in talking about it closely was just how well Jimmy, I guess, particularly in season five, develops kind of throughout you know, his time on the show. And and you think about, he starts off as this kind of, you know, Lothario guy having troubles with Kim. And then by the end of it, he's what going off to lead a search and rescue squad somewhere else and kind of just, you know, completely develops. It's just, there is a shame that you don't see a lot more of kind of how we got to that a little bit more. Cause I think season four, he's, he's very invisible. You you don't really see a lot of, of the Jimmy character at all. Like I said, I think he was getting paid twenty six, whether he, he worked or not. <laughs> you know, it's like you know, if you can, if you're getting paid for twenty six episodes, and you can go and do something else, and and you know, then I, I don't have a problem with that. Yeah, it yeah. was just a shame that they never really. The, the only really way to, to do that would to be to to do it like you know, Chicago Fire, Med, Police, whatever, and, and you'd actually it, it would have been probably easier. To do a a, a a spinoff on it, yeah, and to try to because you know think about how many characters you ha- you have on the show and how much screen time you have and how much can characters you have to bring secondary characters in for them to to react with. So I mean, how much it's only an hour show, mm. you know, which is what forty six minutes in actual screen time. So. You know, and listen to me, right? I, I was just a dumb fireman, and I'm, you know, I, I can expound lingo on now. <laughs> yeah, lingo now. But like, if you have all these main characters, there's only so much screen time. Yeah. So ha- it's almost impossible to 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 keep everyone happy. Which How's is, that? And that's well, that's I think why in season two they switched to a more episode character basis where kind of each episode mainly centered around one character because a lot of people sort of had struggled to keep up in season one with the way they had to balance because you've got a principal cast of nine main actors mixed in with some of the side people and everything as well it, there definitely is a is a balancing act and I, I think third watch definitely peaked like brilliant television in season two because that that sort of centering around one main person per episode you think of the the, the first jimmy episode we had kind of and you're getting a lot more into his relationship with his son and kind of his struggles of coming back from his injury learning that he wanted to play for the yankees and kind of i think he had was that the episode where he punched you or was that a little bit later on i can't remember but uh, uh, probably yeah. later on i couldn't punch him back just yeah <laughs> did you want to i complained about that i was like well can we you know if he's gonna punch me can we finish this uh, you know like let, let it go for a couple minutes but they're afraid, of, you know, I probably hurt him. Yeah. So, <laughs> Break that beautiful face of his. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we don't want to do that. 
another dimple. He doesn't, you know, he's got perfect dimples. Yeah. He doesn't all of a sudden oh, want to add another oh, one. Oh, jeez. You cut his dimple up. Yeah. No, he's a great guy. He's a great guy, man. It's, it was unfortunate that, and I don't blame the actors either because, you know, it's if you want to develop a character, you just have to really, you have to, um, it's hard enough to develop a character, but it's it's, it's got to be really difficult to develop a real character in three you know three minute segments you know over the course of weeks it's just tough to stay there and i can understand where um like i was i was never an actor i never i never like thank god that the people on the set the crew were because i I, i'm very inquisitive i would sit on set when i was working i wouldn't be in my dressing room or whatever it was, I would be on set because I want to see what's going on. I want to see how it works. I'm really interested in, in how this whole, the, the thing works. And I got to be close friends with all of the crew. And I, I was just a working guy like they were, you know, uh, and, and, and they were, they taught me, and the actors also. The actors were, were Michael John Michael Bolger is my acting coach from day one, and um, as soon as he came on, I, I, I learned how to act. And before that, it was just instinct. When he when he got in my ear, he helped me immensely. But before that, it was it was entirely instinct, and it was just something that I was like going with my gut. But uh, the crew helped immensely because. You know, they they said, look, if we're taking a long shot and we're we're panning the camera like this, just you know, look look this way and then look that way, and and we'll get you in focus and and deliver the line, uh, you know, as the camera's coming across. And they were just really, really technically uh, um, helpful. And then John Michael was basically uh, he's my my acting coach. <laughs> well, he he, I really loved the development of of his character too and kind of the fact that i mean he basically had an episode named after him when he when his character died on the show so um yeah i mean that that absolute peak uh you know firefighter storyline is kind of when you've got you know johnson there yourself dk when taylor comes in you've still got eddie it's just that they they were the glory days when it came to the firefighter storylines on third watch yeah, and they brought guys in like Nick Sandow. Nick Sandow was a—he was a major character on the show. He was mm-hmm. a major uh, actor as a firefighter. That Joe Sakura from Power, he was on the show. Uh, he was a, a, a major firefighter uh, um, a part of it. So you know, it, it was—they um, were trying other things, or you know, they were they were putting people in there and trying to make it work and. Uh, you know, I, I thought I thought we tried to keep it um, as true to reality as we could. And you had, of course, Chadwick Boseman. I believe his very first um, TV role, maybe his very first on-screen acting role, was in Third Watch. It was only a very brief moment, but now he's Black Panther. He's he's global superstar oh, now, <laughs> and there it was in Third Watch. <laughs> if you look at the list, if you look at the list of people that did the show, it's it's pretty incredible. It is, yeah. Like, particularly like those first few seasons, just like some of the people. I mean, I think we worked out as two or three future Academy Award winners uh, were on Third Watch, like J.K. Simmons uh, was on yeah. there, Helen Mirren, um, just. 
incredible. Uh, incredible. Viola Davis, I believe, as well. Like, just it's just amazing the, the the people that you kind of watch this show. And so much obviously was never the biggest show on TV, but it's kind of crazy to think the the, the people that they managed to get on the show. It could have been the biggest show on TV, but I, I, NBC should was have just, been the biggest show on it TV. NBC on. just kept like we went from Sunday night to Tuesday night to Monday night to off for two weeks. That you know that was crazy too. It's just, like you it's had just so interesting stuff. coming off the back of ER success because I mean 1999. I mean, gosh, this is when ER is the biggest show on TV, yes, and you. Yes, I mean, that, that's yes. how I started watching the show. Of course, I think a lot of people probably are the same. They they loved ER. They heard this new show coming from the creator of ER. Okay, I'm going to watch that. Um, but at the end of the day, like you're right, it got shifted so much, and but it still ran for six seasons. This isn't just like a one two season flash in the pan show. Six seasons is still a pretty decent run for a TV show. I think I think it says uh, at the hundredth episode party, they had the hundredth episode party. I think the head of uh, NBC is what's the name Grant uh, Zucker, or I'm, I'm not really sure. The the head of NBC got up to talk about the the show, and he says, "This is the show that we tried to kill, and it just wouldn't go away." Wow! And that you know that kind of says a lot. Wow. It's well, th- to, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, you mentioned Chicago Fire, and I think we talked a bit about that on the uh, reunion episode with Ed and that, that it kind of – it does seem to be a lot of shows now are really taking that. I mean, look at 911. Basically, you know, Ryan Murphy's got his, his warped third watch 20 years later in L.A. Yeah. Is that with uh, uh, Rob Lowe? Uh, no, um, it's got... I think it rock, yeah, I think 911 Atlanta, I think, something like that. One oh, that, I've, I haven't seen that one. Yeah, no, the one I, the, there's the 911 I'm thinking of has got, um, oh gosh, oh. I've gone blank oh. on a name in it. Um, yeah, <laughs> bless you. Um, yeah, but it's, it's kind of crazy to think that these shows, because it's also a case too that there weren't many fireman-based shows in 99, were there? I don't think there were any. Well, in 99, um, the only other one that came out was, was running the same time that we were running. It was Rescue Me. Mm, mm, Dennis that was later in, Yeah, that was later in the, uh, that was later in uh, the, the, maybe season four. Mm, three of mm. So what? So many influences on all these shows. It never gets credit. Come on. <laughs> all these shows come oh, out afterwards. <laughs> it, was, uh, it, was, it was certainly a, a great thing for me. It was, Did you uh, have a favorite episode that you were part of? Favorite episode? Well, uh, the the one with J.K. Simmons comes to mind because I was I was really really new at uh, acting, and I spent like uh, fourteen hours in a uh, in a factory with uh, J.K. Simmons. He he did the the whole show from under a slab of uh, concrete, mm-hmm. and that one ran late into the evening. We that was like a 18 hour day um jk you know what it was uh just meeting a lot of people meeting all, there was so many guest stars and so many um uh directors you know i just think how many directors went through that i always loved working with chris tulak because he was really nice and he was always really nice to me that was uh that was the one where jimmy gets shot Yep. That was a that was I a mean, great episode. Yeah. Yep. That was here's a funny story. Michael Beach, myself, and um this actor who was playing the fireman, one of the other firemen that got shot. Mm-hmm. So Jimmy gets shot, 
and this other guy gets shot. Now, this other guy that gets shot, he's like, like I said, he's an actor. He's 6'2", black hair, you know, 210 pounds, beautiful blue eyes. And he's laying on the ground in a pool of blood. Michael Beach is attending to him, and I'm helping Michael Beach do his job. So we're there, and it's just this outdoor scene. There's stuff blowing up. Um, the, there's an ambulance coming through. So it's a it's a running camera shot. It's all this kind of stuff going on, and Chris Chulak is is directing it. So we're running through the thing. We do one take, and the uh, no the first take somebody makes a mistake, and we start all over again. Now it takes maybe an hour, maybe 45 minutes to set everything up again where things are blowing up and stuff. And the second tape, the camera comes to me and I'm supposed to say something. And it just was that moment where it was just, I looked at the camera and went like, (laughs) I just don't have it. And and Chris is like, caught, caught, caught. Uh, He comes over and says, Billy, you think you're going to like get this done here? I was like, yeah, okay, okay. So he set up again. Now, every time, now, Michael... Michael Beach and I think the gentleman's name was Michael Laporte. Mike Laporte. Michael and him are talking now. Michael, I think, went to Juilliard. He uh, for acting. I think Michael yeah. went to Juilliard. This guy's got like a double doctorate from Columbia in <laughs> acting, and I come from what's the matter, you? You know, <laughs> Brooklyn, you know. So they're they're just talking about like where they went to school and you know this and that and they're going over like things that they did they did stuff in summer stock and all and i'm standing there i'm i'm totally out of my league but every time they yell cut the uh um the makeup lady comes over with another gallon of blood and just pours it on this guy (laughs) and i just look over at him i look down at him i say you know what this is the uh, yeah the uh, the season ep- ending episode. I look at him. I say, I don't think you're coming back next season. With <laughs> all this blood, I don't see you making. He's like, no, no, come on, man. I'm gonna be back. I was like, no, no, <laughs> you're definitely dead. no. There's no way you're making it out of this one. Look, look at this. No way. So that's that's one of my favorite episodes. It's it must have been also fun. Uh, I mentioned DK a couple of times uh, to, to to work with him and kind of. I mean, did you had you ever worked together sort of outside? No, no, You'd never met him before, no, or no, he's the best. Derek is the best. He's the the sweetest, nicest man I know. He's like such a he's a great fireman, but he's just a really really nice guy. And I met him on set. I yeah. met him on set as he met Molly Price on set. Well, I was going to ask, yeah. was that so they met on set? That wasn't just a shit, he got hired because he was already no. married to her type of thing. No, okay. no, they met on set and that was all secret. Wow. That was like, I didn't even know about it. But uh, um, yeah. And Derek's they're, a great... they're, still, they're still together? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I talked to Derek occasionally, not, not as much as I want to. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, Derek's a great guy. He's, great. he's, he's, um, yeah, he, he, um, he worked in the firehouse that they shot the show in. Right. That's where he, that was his home firehouse. Wow. And a lot of the guys that were uh, extras, firefighter extras, they worked out of that firehouse. I mean, two or three of them. Great. Wow. What, what actual, um, I mean, I was talking to you off air, I've been to that firehouse, but is what's that, do you call it the precinct? Like kind of what's that station house number? 
It's uh, engine two fifty eight, ladder one fifteen, and right. Derek was in ladder one fifteen. Okay, right, and it's yeah. still active to this day, as I think you were oh, telling yeah. me. Yeah, 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 that, yeah. It's open. Crazy, crazy. It's and it's just added to the realism though of the show, though, doesn't it? That you kind of you're actively using an actual firehouse. Yeah, the uh, the uh, the interiors of the firehouse were on the set at Diamond Street in uh, Greenpoint mm-hmm. in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Th- those were the interiors, and that was the interior of the police department, also. Right, right. And what the, the um, I, I remember when I went there though, because like it's kind of the firehouse. You can't miss it. It's this beautiful building. But then I remember looking at the other side of the street, going, "How do they make this an exterior of a police? Like it just because it's just apartment buildings, isn't it? That was just like a factory or something. I'm not really sure what it is. They they, they put up a facade that said uh, whatever precinct it was, five five precinct. Crazy. Intelligent people, these TV people, aren't they? But, I mean, outside of Third Watch, though, I mean, it kind of, it must have, the, the bug must have then been ignited because Third Watch isn't the only acting role you've been in. You've, you've had a few other ones, and I, and I believe you, you're going to look to get back into acting as well. So did that just that, light that that fire that you wanted to keep acting? Well, what, so what happened was um, I retired from the New York City Fire Department after 28 years, and uh, I came home one day, and my boys were... Six, nine, and twelve, and my youngest son William did not know who I was because prior to being an actor, I was a fireman and I was a registered nurse. So I, I that was uh, pre nine eleven. So uh, I was working as a nurse and a fireman, and then I got also got the acting job. So I was doing the acting job sporadically because, like I said, every time I walked off set. I never knew if I was going to come back again. So I wasn't giving up my day jobs because I needed the money because I was raising three kids and, you know, taking care of my family. So um, I said that when I retired and my youngest son said, well, I knew who you were kind of because you'd come home, have dinner and then leave. And I said, well, you know what? I have an opportunity here. I'm retiring from the New York City Fire Department. Uh, Third watch shut down. Uh, I can get some acting jobs, but I think it was a lot of stuff going on at the time. I had a lot of, uh, I had some medical issues, some, uh, you know, whatever that was, was going on. So, uh, I said, well, maybe it's a good time for me to show up in my son's lives. And I did because I had being a fireman and uh, being an actor and just not being available for them was not fair to them. So I wanted to, uh, I wanted to coach them. I wanted to make all their games. So that's what I did. I jumped into their lives. I don't know if they're too happy about it, but, uh, I got to spend, uh, a lot of great time with my boys. And now my youngest son is 19, going to be 20. He's playing junior A hockey up in, uh, Northern Ontario. Uh, my middle son, he's in college. My oldest son, he's graduated from college and he's out in the, in, in the world making a living. So now I'm here and um, I'm jumping back in the game. I, you know, I, uh, I got new headshots made up and I'm, I, I talked to my agent and we're, uh, we're going back at it. We're going to see what happens. We're going to see what shakes. And do you have, I guess, certain roles that you will take? Are you like, do you just open yourself up to whatever's available? How does that work? Uh, well, it's, it's what, what's available what do I have uh, the chops to do? Uh, I don't. I don't see myself doing Othello. Hmm. 
Um, I, you know, I have, I have some abilities that I'd like to, um, go back in to do them and anything that's a challenge, you know, um, you know, I'm, I'm open to the challenge. I'm open to the challenge to play, uh, play anything. You know, I see you on Blue Bloods because I swear every single third watch actor ends up on bloody Blue Bloods at some point. Oh yeah, Amy, Amy Carson. <laughs> Amy Carson. Here's another. Like I, there was rumor. Now I don't know, I don't know, but there was rumor on a set that Amy Carson and I were supposed to hook up on uh, on the show, right? And I'll be a, a, a love interest on the show. And there was rumors going around, and, and then that just got squashed. It went somewhere else. But Amy's a great. She's a great girl. Um, we had, we had, listen, there was, there was a part of our firehouse that, uh, Derek and I brought to the set that was kind of different to than the Hollywood persona that was there. So, uh, we'd break for lunch or we, if we had, say we had a two or three hour break, uh, all, all the guys that were firemen say, Hey, look, you know, we're going to Peter Luger's for lunch. Uh, if we were shooting in Williamsburg, just say that. Or, or if there's another restaurant right by, we, which hey, we're going to Peter Luger's or we're going somewhere else, Mendicati's for lunch. And next thing you know, Eddie say, "Well, where are you guys going for lunch?" And it, we're going to Mendicati. Oh, right, yeah, I'm in. And then uh, uh, Amy Carlson would say it, and then somebody else would say it. Or we had we had Ed come with us one, one day, and and we just all go to lunch and have a good time. Now at lunch. One of the rules at the at the at, at when we went out was you can't answer your phone at the table. If you get a phone call, hey, no problem. If you need to answer it, you got to get up, go away, answer your phone call, then you come back. Now to Hollywood types at the time, that's like, what do you mean I can't answer my phone? Well, <laughs> you're with us. This is what we do. You know, we're going to sit here and everybody's we're all going to eat and whatever whatever the price is. Whatever it comes out to, we're going to divide it by 15. That's the way it is. But you can't answer your phone. So I think they really like that kind of, uh, of, of thing there where every time we said, all right, uh, we're, we're going out, everybody, hey, where are you guys going? Where are you going? You know, <laughs> you want to come? Come on, we'll, we'll go. We'll make a phone call. We'll get a spot for 15 and, and we'll go have lunch. Well, we'll wow. have dinner. You know, so uh, uh, that was that was a good part of 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 the camaraderie of the firehouse, like kind of the firehouse kind of bleeding into the, the television. Yeah. Fantastic. Do you keep in touch with many, many of the, the people from the show still? Um, who do I talk to? Um, I talk to, well, no, you know why? Because we live in different worlds. We, you know, we, we really live in different worlds. Uh, I mean, the last time I spoke to uh, Ed and, and Skip and, and uh, who, who else was on the podcast? Michael Beach. And mm-hmm. I, I talked to Anthony once in a while. And that was just like, you know, Anthony was doing something. He needed uh, he needed some help trying to find somebody that could, you know, help him out with a project. And he, he figured it was uh, he could go through me and I, I'd have some insight into something like that. But not not really that much because, you know, everybody's busy. Was there anyone that you particularly didn't get to do many scenes with or many episodes with on the show that you wish you maybe had have gotten to to know a little bit better? Um, Jason, I didn't work with Jason a lot. Uh, I didn't work with Molly a lot. 
um, Jason Molly, they, you know, they kind of like they, they had their own thing there for a while. And I didn't really get to work with them a lot. I didn't get to work a lot with Skip, but when I did, it was fun. Uh, Michael, I got to work with more often because uh, because of just because he was in the EMS side of it, and he, they were in the firehouse. So a lot of those scenes that were much like the Blue Blood uh, sitting at the kitchen table scene. Yep, that's right. That's directly from Third Watch. There you go. Another thing that Third Watch's influence right there. See? That's directly from Third Watch. That that whole sitting around the table in the firehouse, that kind of thing was, uh, you know. So I got to work with Anthony there, and uh, uh, um, uh, Yvonne, yeah, Yvonne, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you do you remember yeah. getting to work with Bobby Cannavale much when he was in the show? Oh, Bobby! Now Bobby is like when I like he was gone in season two, I believe, right? Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So by season two, I only did like. I'm not really even sure. I should look this up. What was it? Two two episodes in season one, or six episodes in season one, and maybe another I think six. You, I think if just briefly scrolling through IMDb, you had six in season one. I think. If yeah, I maybe count them maybe, correctly. Maybe ten in season two, and uh, you know, Bobby's just a, a a real, real kind of. When Bobby walks in a room, you know it. You know. And and he was more look I'm I, I'm not on that level especially at that time where I was just you know coming onto the set and I was the fireman and I you know they were throwing I was a day player basically and uh, um, you know and Bobby was hanging out with uh, you know the, the the main characters and I was just there and Bob's always been super super nice to me but he's a real. You know, like I said, when he walks in a room, you know he's in the room because he's just got such a presence, and he's re- uh, he's a really cool guy. He's real he's down to earth. And doing Scorsese films now. I mean, he's moved on a little bit. <laughs> yeah, a lot of, yeah, but you know what? That's uh, that's just testament of uh, of the kind of person he is because mm. he's just a really really nice guy. You and know, and, the thing and, that uh, I love doing with like thing, when you uh, when you see films or that now with any of the third watch uh, actors in it, it's kind of. Bobby Cannavale is one that I always get excited for because it's kind of I, I think now that, that how big he is, it's kind of it's interesting to think that he actually started basically on Third Watch. That was one of his main roles, and look where he's gone to now. So it's um yeah, I, I'm I'm that type of fanboy build that it's kind of like oh look, you know, Avon Jung's in something. I'm gonna watch it. Like it's just anyone oh, yeah. from Third Watch. Yeah, I'm gonna watch it too because it's 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 to see the 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 progress or the development. Hey. Steve Buscemi and I were in the same pro- probie class. So when I got on the job, Buscemi was in the probie class for me. I remember the first day of probie school. We're sitting in an auditorium and there's 100 newly appointed firefighters. And the, command- uh, the commander of the uh, probationary fireman school was going over the rules of what you can and cannot do. And Steve Buscemi raised his hand and said, look, you know, I'm a part-time actor. Am I allowed? Because they said you can't work at doing anything for another six months. And he said, "Well, what if I get a, a a part? Can I do it?" And he put his hand up in front of everybody in the in the school. And kind of at the time, that was like, "Are you crazy? Like what? You know, you haven't graduated from probationary school yet, and and you're asking if you can work as an actor." And a lot of people thought he was crazy. Wow. But but you know. Look at where he is now. That um, 
I think a lot of the stories about him being a firefighter came around 9-11, didn't it? Because he went down and worked, basically. And then I think there was a story about how somebody wanted to take a picture or do a story on him for, for the fact that he's Steve Buscemi. Here he is doing this. And he was like, no, this isn't about me. I'm here helping after this tragedy. Don't you dare take a picture yeah, of me. Because- he's helping a guy in 55 engine, right? Exactly. And that's... Yeah. That's part of the brotherhood that's instilled in you, and I don't think you ever shake that out of you. You know, mm. I want I want to write a book. To, all the things I learned in the firehouse. That would be a good read. I'd read it. But you know, and and, and things like you know, be be the first guy in the sink. Mm-hmm. What is Are you that? allowed to do that? Are you? Uh, is that like part of like your? Do you have some sort of contract or something? Like after a certain time, you can't do that or. No, you could do it. You could, you you know, people write books about stuff all the time. But it's just these things that you learn in the firehouse about, you know, just how to be a person. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how just how to be a person, how to be, how to go about, like, don't leave it for the next guy. You know, that that kind of stuff just, uh, um, it's, it's kind of like Marines. If you ever met a guy that was a Marine, they're a Marine for life. They never change. You know, they're, they're, you're always going to be, they, they have something that they, they were, they, that were ta- was taught to them early on in their lives and that they take with them to the grave. And that's the same thing that you're, you're going to get in the firehouse. You get that, uh, that lesson in life and how to be, how to be that, that person, how to, how to, how to go through life. It's a definitely, uh, something that I, yeah, can just, imagine would just be an incredible part that you can keep with you and, and learn everything that but uh, yeah no that book sounds write it i i will I'll read it i'm sure all our listeners would read it too you'd get a few sales on this side of the world uh guaranteed <laughs> i'm gonna put that down with things to do yeah things to do the bucket list bill uh this has been so much fun chatting about this mate and learning so much more about this uh we'll have to get you on again to chat more but also we're going to keep an eye out for you whether it be on blue bloods or any other show in the future because uh, i'm looking forward to seeing your face on my tv screen again hey ben you know what it's always a pleasure it's uh you, you know you're a true fan and um i think that you know if it wasn't wasn't for people like you out there you know, this wouldn't exist. So, uh, you know, kudos to you, my friend. Uh, I wish you all the best in your wedding, which is coming up soon. When when you get married? November, November the first. Okay, yes. So the clock is ticking. Um, yes. <laughs> now, where are you, where are you getting married? So we're actually getting married uh, at a place called Hatley Castle in Victoria. So um, if you've ever seen X Men or Daredevil mo- uh, yes. uh, Deadpool movies. Where they yes. have basically the Xavier School of Gifted Children, they film it at Hatley Castle. Really? So really? we get so married there. Yep. And then you're going to be in New York for your honeymoon. I will be. Yes, we are going there. Mallory has never been to New York before, so um, I'm like, look, I love New York enough. I love you enough. Loving you in New York. This is like the best honeymoon I can think of. Let's go to New York. Let's get together. How's that? We will. How's that? Absolutely. Get to Let's get together and we'll stay in touch. And thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. And a massive thank you to Bill there. A lot of fun. A lot of things learning about there. 
And great to get some more Third Watch content, as I said at the very beginning of the episode. Just because we're finished with the recaps doesn't mean we're still not going to cover the show where we can. And we will do our very best along the way to bring you some interviews and other episodes whenever we can. So stay tuned here to the Oz Network. As I mentioned at the top of the show, remember the easiest way for you to stay up to date with everything that we're producing, everything that we put out there, is subscribing to us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, you name it, we're on it. And of course, remember to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, as well as on Instagram. You can interact with us, send us a message, let us know what you're thinking of the show, and just overall get excited about the awesomeness that is the Oz Network. We've got a lot of great stuff coming your way, so we want you to be a part of it. Otherwise, you're going to miss out, and you're going to be sad in life, and we don't want you being sad in life. Thanks again to Bill. Thanks for you for listening. This has been the Oz Network. My name is Ben. We'll speak to you next time. Good night. Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.